Sego and welcome to Resistance Radio. This is John Kane. I will have Regan DeLoggins joining us uh, shortly. Um, Regan is on the road, and uh, look, I can't anticipate how smooth you know, some of these road trip <laughs> uh, connections will be. So I'm hoping that uh, we'll be able to get an update on line three. That is, uh, is actually where Regan is on, on our way to, uh, on their way to. Um, so look forward to, to, to getting, getting the latest there. Uh, Regan has a very specific uh, reason for having to go out there, and I'll let Regan explain all that. Before I get into it, let me again remind folks that we are listener-supported radio, and we rely on your contributions to, to make this radio station, to make these radio stations, both PFW and uh, BAI, happen. So if you, are, if you are listening in New York on WBAI, please go to the pledge line, 212 209 2950. That's the number to call to make a pledge of any size, any uh, any way you want to do it. Become a WBI buddy. I'd love to uh, sign up more buddies in the name of Resistance Radio. You can go online and do the same. You can go to give to WBAI.org um, and follow the prompts to to make a donation, a time donation, a monthly donation. Be a, again, become a WBI uh, BAI buddy. Become a member of the station. If you are in Washington and you are listening on WPFW, please go to the pledge line 202-588-9739 or go online to WPFWFM.org and follow the prompts to do the same there. Um, look, and if you're listening online, great. You get to choose. You can, you can make a donation to either station if you are listening to us uh, uh, on one of these uh, on, on WPFW online or on WBAI uh, online. So uh, please do support the station. Uh, if you support the station in the name of this program, uh, I greatly appreciate that. All right, so let's uh, let's get into it. Uh, first off, uh, Reg, do we have Regan with us? I hope so. Can y'all hear me okay? Regan, you sound great. Uh, so, uh, I know that you've got a lot going on. Um, it's, been, it's been a bit of a hectic week for me as well. So um, I, I'm glad that you were able to to connect with us you mentioned last week that you were going to be heading out to line three you frankly have you've got to answer answer some charges out there is that correct i do um i have a uh i have a number of charges that um have been brought against me by uh hubbard county which is one of the counties that the pipeline line three is going through and um i have to i have to go to i have to show my face in court so that's where I've uh, that's the the road trip that I've been participating in and I'm currently on uh, is to to go and to kind of begin to really start talking about what it looks like for water protectors like myself and others um, to, you know, to hold Enbridge and uh, the Minnesota police accountable for the breaking of these trees. Regan, uh, go ahead and repeat what you just said. You were, oh, you were saying okay. you want to hold them accountable for, for breaking treaties. I specifically pulled over so that y'all, so that I would have good service because I've been driving through pretty dead spaces. So uh, you're great right now. Yeah, I'm I'm losing you again. Yeah, I pretty much um, you broke up a lot. I'm gonna try time. another way to try to get uh, the contact about uh, them, okay. John. So um, okay, yeah, can you so, hear me now? Okay. Oh, oh, you're back. I'm back. Great. Yeah, Regan. I'm sorry. This just uh, we're we're just not able to um, make out what you're saying. <laughs> I'm gonna try something right now. So uh, just. Keep it going, uh, John. I'll uh, shift gears a little bit while you're trying to connect up with Regan a little bit better. And uh, there's a f few things that I wanted to mention. So, so go ahead. All right. Look, if there's one thing that I've grown increasingly frustrated with is, um, is obviously the Afghanistan coverage. So the one thing that I've got to say, and I know there's there's people who will probably lose their minds when they hear me say some of this stuff, but let me be clear here. Every time I hear the all of the rhetoric about how oppressive the Taliban is, 
and 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 the fear and and the chaos i'm not seeing evidence of that from what for from what i'm actually seeing and you know what the oppression that the, the that that the taliban are, is being accused of doesn't sound a whole lot different than what native people experienced when europeans showed up here mm. or the conditions that women lived under that european model women were very oppressed they you know they had to dress a certain way there was i mean they they hung you know the salem witch trials ring ring a bell with anybody i mean when i think about some of the things that that i'm hearing the taliban and i'm not defending the taliban i'm just saying there's an awful lot of the pot calling the kettle black here and and when when I hear this constant drumbeat about how terrible it's going, uh, Afghanistan is going to be under under Taliban rule, then where were the Afghans? I mean, there's obviously enough support for the Taliban in uh, in Afghanistan for Taliban to make this remarkable sweep over, uh, across the country to you know to take control and, and to essentially undermine 20 years of occupation by the United States. So I wanted to throw this out there. I mean, I'm, I know this is a, a, is a show all in all by itself, but I, I'm sorry, I just had to throw that out there because every time I hear, about women not being able to go to school, women not being able to do this, women not being able to do that. That's exactly the way the European colonists were. And, 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 and they, they were, our people were aghast at how women were treated by, by European settlers. I mean, we, we couldn't believe it. And so now as I hear this, this, you know, this feigned outrage that comes from, you know, from US backers and that kind of stuff, I, I'm sorry, there's, I, I just had to get some of that off my chest. And speaking of that, John, I do believe that Regan is back. So why don't you go go for it? Regan, how can we hear you better now? Or I might have spoke too soon. Oh, well, I can hear you all. I wish y'all could hear me. You're still, yeah. your voice just seems to be breaking up and it's getting Okay, you know, it I'm really going to Okay, oh, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, I think you're, 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 you're sounding Let's a lot try. better now. Okay, good. Go ahead and try. Go ahead and try. I, pulled, I pulled over, so hopefully this is better. Can y'all hear me okay? You sound good. Okay, great. So I'm really glad, actually, that you brought up what's going on in Afghanistan because it's a continuation of a lot of other conversations that we've discussed in reference to ongoing imperialism. And we so often talk about imperialism through the, um, the lens of, of specifically, you know, the U.S., uh, the occupation into Central American countries like Guatemala, the occupation of Puerto Rico, Hawaii, um, and the Philippines are like, uh, often those are the, the, main, the, the main countries, if you will, that we focus on when we talk about um, U.S. imperialism. But the reality is that Afghanistan is also part of this imperial narrative in which the U.S. provided funding and weaponry to the Taliban to overthrow the socialist government that was voted into place by the people um, in, order, uh, in order to create um, a buffer between, um, okay, I say a buffer because that's the, the language that is used, a buffer between the USSR at the time and other countries. So when we talk about the Taliban being in power and having power, we can't ignore the fact that the U.S. provided uh, them with weaponry, with training, in order for them to usurp a, a, an, a, an elected body that was put into place that the U.S. saw as a fear, uh, as a, a rather as a threat during the Red Scare. So I, I really find it such an annoying conversation when people discuss what's going on with um, with the Taliban because we can't. We cannot divorce the fact that they are funded and trained by the U.S. military. And even now, as we're seeing this, you know, this horrible, horrible um, disorganized attempt to remove uh, not just U.S. and um, and great and um, diplomats from Great Britain as well, and also refugees trying to leave Afghanistan, we see the Taliban having access to weaponry and getting even more access to weaponry because the reality is that they were and have always been supported um, in a number of ways by the U.S. government, both historically and now, as we're seeing in the current in the current climate. You know, the reason that the Taliban were able to take over Afghanistan so swiftly and specifically Kabul so swiftly was because of um, 
because of on, because of imperialism. The twenty year occupation ended haphazardly, but the twenty year occupation has been haphazard. You know, I've been reading so much about this, and and obviously Biden's um, response to what is happening was just grotesque in a number of ways um, because it didn't unpack that this was a war for for resources. This was a war um, like Vietnam that was an unwinnable war in the first place, and it was never meant to be something, um, you know, th- there was never an intention to leave Afghanistan in, in a way that was uh, stronger than it was, but in fact, just to to participate in exploitation. So for me, it's a really frustrating conversation because we can't ignore that Afghanistan is part of this imperial narrative. Well, and, and I think when I think about, as you mentioned, the Red Scare and how how scary the communists were and and how they were the enemy and they were to the, the the enemy to all things that are freedom and all things that are America. Well, and they and they've essentially done the same thing with with what they're dubbing Islamic regimes. And and the, and the thing is, as much as you will hear military pundits talk about the problems of theocracy. Well, what the hell is Israel? I mean, so as I hear, you know, some of this rhetoric, the the hypocrisy is is just overwhelming, and yet so many people won't talk about it. Well, it's, it's absurd to think that every every so-called country entire on this entire planet is going to be a quote-unquote democracy. That's an absurd thing to assume. And also, we already know that the democracy that we see here in this so-called country is not a real democracy. You know, this is an, oligarch- an oligarchy. We already know that the Electoral College is um, not a useful way to, to, to measure votes or to rather show the voice of the American people in terms of who they want in power. And so to assume other countries or everywhere in the world is going to be a democracy is absurd and, um, and flatten the identities of so many people uh, who have different ways of taking each, care of each other through community. And of course, there are going to be uh, countries that have, you know, that are religiously based and therefore have a religious government. And I would argue that this country is one of those as well. You know, the, the, the way that Christianity has permeated lawmaking is so rampant. There is not, a, you know, there is not this separation of church and state that people or try to push when when we discuss um, what religious governments look like elsewhere. You know, this is also a religious government. Different kinds of religious governments that exist throughout the globe. And in fact, the reason that the U.S. has been so quick to uh, to 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 criticize nations that are run by Islam is because it it is Islamophobic policy, and because a lot of these countries that have Islamic government uh, have resources, including fossil fuels. Part of this is a need to be continuously seeking extractive industries outside of outside of this so-called country. So, and yes, of course, like why why is there not the same critical lens of the Jewish state that is, you know, Israel or what is you know? There are more states. Not everywhere is going to be a democracy, and that's and that's good. You know, there should be a diversity in the way that people. Um, take care of themselves. I mean, I'm anti-authoritative in general. I don't believe in any government. So to think that there's one way for a country to function is an absurd thing to force upon other places that don't have the same cultural beliefs. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and even even the Vatican, which gets treated as if yes. it's like this own little nation state. I mean, how is that? I mean, how is that not a theocracy that you know, and yet you will hear the military pundits use that exact expression? Well, the problem with theocracies is this, this and this. And the reality is the United States talks out of both sides of its face. You know, on one hand, the, you know, there are people on both sides of the political aisle that will insist that the United States is a Christian nation. And we've heard, heck, even even <laughs> even some of the tribal governments do the same thing. I mean, it's 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 absurd when you hear that expression being used. And then, of course, then you'll hear others say, "Well, but there's a separation of church and state." Well, we don't see that. We no, see many of the laws shaped by Christian dogma. So, I mean, it, it's absurd when I hear some of the the uh, the again the two side the the hypocrisy and the contradictions. 
I think that one of the most excellent examples in terms of just to prove that the U.S. does not have a separation between church and state is abortion and reproductive rights for people. I'm sorry, you're, uh, you're, you're, you're breaking up again, Regan. Say it again. Okay. I was going to say one of the most um, prominent examples that I believe proves that the United States is not does not have a separation of church and state is uh, abortion and reproduction uh, reproductive oh, laws. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we yeah. know we know that is a perfect example in which religious dogma has endangered people who ha- who want to have access to abortion. And I specifically don't just say women because it's not just women who can uh, carry children and, and deserve reproductive rights as well. But it's incredibly important that we understand that that is an example in which we can very clearly see that there is not a delineation between church and state. In fact, well, let me, let, let's, be, let's be honest, LGBTQ uh, two-spirit is the same thing. Absolutely. You know, it's a, it's a lack of access that is being determined by Christian values, and not just Christian values, by Puritan values. And we cannot ignore how, imp- how um, impervious, uh, not impervious, rather, but rather how, um, Pervasive. how much yeah. impure, yeah, thank you, uh, Puritan values are to the creation of of U.S. governmental law, and also how society functions. You know, it's based in Puritan values. So for people to say, oh, the U.S. is a democracy, there is a divorce, you know, there is a, a, a distinct line between church and state is, is ignorant. That's not, it's not true. Yeah, and uh, and so I, I, again, I, you know, listening to that constant drumbeat, and then the crazy part is, as much as they want to talk about the chaos um, that is being caused by the by the Taliban takeover, most of the chaos that we w- were witnessing has to do with with the the bumbling president of the United States on how he's handled you know the, the withdrawal and of course how many people uh, they have placed in harm's way because of of trying to get them aligned against uh, against the Taliban. So I mean it's. Yeah, it's a mess caused by the United States, um, and the the funny thing is that when you look at where the Taliban has taken over, you actually don't see the chaos that everybody's uh, claiming uh, is 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 imminent. And also, this this I really do want to hammer home what you just said. Yes, of course, you know the Taliban is a real threat to a number of people um, who do not want to live under a um, do, who do not want to live under that regime. Sure, yes, of course. I, I don't want to ignore that. That's a real, a real threat, and um, for a number, a number of people, it's also important to understand that the chaos that is happening right now in Afghanistan is because of a 20-year occupation. It is because of U.S. and British forces who have done a bad job, a horrible job, a job that they should not have been doing in the first place, mind you. I'm not here to uh, to. I do not support and was never supportive of this war um, or this occupation. Um, but I think it's really important for folks to understand that the reason that there is chaos is because there was no structure put in place to get Afghani refugees out, outside of Afghanistan when the shift or takeover was, was meant to happen. You know, there is no, you know, we see people clinging to planes because there are no planes taking them out. You know, we see people running to the airport because there is no strategy to get refugees out of the country who want to get out of the country. And who was supposed to take care of that? The occupying forces, U.S. and British um, occupying forces did not organize this properly. And the whole idea that and saying, um, oh, well, you know, we thought this was going to take a course of months, not a course of a week. Well, even then, how were you how were these occupying forces intending on providing security and safety to Afghan people. And the reality is they never were. That was never the intention. Yeah. No, it's 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 a major major you know mess and 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 the United that, States is completely responsible. And I see um I see this image circulating of this um this US um soldier uh, grasping the American flag as he is being, uh, you know, he's on his way to be airlifted out of the U.S. Embassy. And how many people have been resharing this, being like, look at this soldier carrying a flag. And all I could think about was how, how, how honestly, how embarrassing that, that is. Who yeah. cares about a piece of fabric? 
who cares about saving something, a vestige of uh, of imperialism? Uh, you know, exactly. who 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 could even who could even celebrate that? For me, it was just such a such a distinct, um, you know, patriotic propaganda. So that people are like, wow, this guy is really, you know, cares so much that he grabbed the flag before he left. And then you see that in comparison to images of Afghani people falling off of planes as they were clutching on, hoping to escape um, after being told that they would have, you know, the ability to leave if they wanted to. And to me, it was it was such an embarrassing thing to uh, to see so many so so many media outlets are are resharing this image. Yeah, I've seen it all over Instagram, all over Twitter, and it's just like honestly such um, such it's it's such BS to think yeah. that that is something that we need to celebrate. That is not something that needs to be celebrated. Someone saving a piece of cloth over someone's life is not someone something that I take pride in. Yeah, yeah. All right, I I know we we lost lost you for a while, so. Uh, while we were doing the line three stuff, so let's let's shift back to that. Um, I I was glad to mention the the Afghan uh, Afghanistan um, debacle, um, and I'm glad you were able to to weigh in so effectively. I, I appreciate that. But I'm really I, glad that we talked about it. Yeah, yeah, I I'm glad we did too. But let's I mean, just basically let's um, start with with the most basic overview because i'm sure some of our listeners don't really know what the line three sure. conflict is so so why don't you just start from there so line three is a pipeline it's a tar sands oil pipeline which is um, there are different kinds of pipelines that usually move different kinds of extracted materials and tar sands pipelines are known to be the like one of the most poisonous um pipelines uh, and it, it moves an incredibly uh, toxic material through land. And specifically, Line 3 is going through uh, Anishinaabe and Dakota territory and is breaking the 1854 and 1855 treaty territory rights. And why is this important? Because this specific treaty territory are, is where Anishinaabe people hunt, fish, gather their medicines, um, gather and harvest wild rice. And so this construction of this pipeline not only breaks treaties, but is already destroying the land that people live off of. There's often this misunderstanding that pipelines go through pristine wilderness, um, places that people don't live. And that's wildly untrue. Pipeline routes purposefully go through indigenous territories and specifically through places that indigenous people use to exercise our sovereignty and our self-determination. So since 2014, um, Line 3 has been has been built and uh, through a number of sections, largely through uh, Minnesota, and it crosses 227 lakes and rivers, um, over 200 different watersheds. And one of these lakes and rivers that this crosses is the Mississippi River that feeds right into Lake Superior and also dumps into the Gulf of Mexico. And for those who are unaware, the Mississippi River is the largest water source for people in this so-called country. Um, it is already the, the, the drilling that has gone underneath the watershed of the Mississippi has already leaked. And we're talking about a spill that would be about 760,000 barrels of tar sand oil that could spill at any moment into the Mississippi River, into Lake Superior, into these, um, and into a number of these other 227 lakes and rivers. Now, why is this, why should people care? Because it's already happening. We, you know, we talked about the ICPT report, uh, report yesterday, um, last week rather, not yesterday, that these pipelines, they spill. And they have spilled. There's a number of tar sand leaks already in northern Minnesota from Line 3. And, of course, why is no one talking about this? Because it goes through indigenous territory. Now, what's really important for people to understand about Line 3 is that the company that is sponsoring it is called Embridge. And Embridge is a Canadian-based company. 
And some of y'all who are hearing this might be like, oh, wow, I recognize that name. And the reason you recognize it is because Enbridge also built a number of other pipelines. It's, and is connected to the Chums Mountain pipeline that goes through with Suedin territory. It's connected to Line 5, uh, which goes uh, through eastern so-called Canada. And all of these pipelines are meant to connect at the mouth, at the headwaters of the Mississippi. So that's just like the general background of like what Line 3 is, who is building Line 3, and the risk that Line 3, um, the, and it's not even a risk, it's happening. You know, there was a leak, there was a leak last week. You can see uh, you can see videos of tar sands leaking into wild rice fields, and and who is cleaning it up? No one, of course. And so, a number of indigenous activists, specifically from Anishinaabe and Dakota territories, have created camps along the route of the pipeline um, to to stop uh, and to force, or rather, uh, yeah, to force. I'm going to use that's the right terminology to force the settler colonial government that is the U.S. To, to stop this pipeline, to stop Enbridge. Uh, you know, originally it was to pull the permits, from, you know, requesting the permits be pulled from the Army Corps of Engineers. And then it was uh, looking at, which, by the way, has yet to be done. Uh, and then it was that we wanted the Biden administration to, to, to see how destructive this pipeline was. And, of course, the Biden administration has made no attempt to even be in conversation with land defenders. And so this is an ongoing let's struggle. Not, let's not leave Deb Haaland out of the mix either. Oh, we will not. Trust me. I have a bone to pick with her. So this is something that's been going on since 2014. And the reason that people are hearing about it now is because the pipeline um, is it, 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 it will be completed soon. And that now, let, all let me back up. Let, let me back up just a little bit, because sure, of course, uh, you yeah. know, for those people who don't understand what tar sands oil is, tar sands oil is the is the dirtiest oil on the planet. It um, yes. it is among the hardest oil to extract. It is essentially tar in sand. That's why it's called tar sands oil. What they do is they they liquefy it either by heating it or adding other chemicals to it. And what's actually being pumped uh, or, or piped is not considered crude oil. It's, it, it, so it actually has different um, standards, uh, if anything, more lax standards, because it's called bitumen. It's not actually called crude oil anymore. So some of the same things, like even Superfund sites are, 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 and insurances are, are different for, for this material. Now, this material is not only very, very toxic, it is actually more difficult to clean up when it spills than, than regular yes. crude oil. It is, it is um, this oil is coming from Canada um, through much of this er area of, of Alberta where they've, they've wiped out boreal forests so they can mine this sand, um, it, it, which is one of the techniques, is to mine the sand and then separate the tar from the sand. Uh, tar from the, sand. the other way is to, is to pipe in um, natural gas so they can use superheated steam and pump it into the ground and try to get the oil, the, the, the tar to, to liquefy through heat and pipe it out that way. It is an absolute debacle of a, of a, of a system of extraction. And it's, it's, it's expensive. Now, what is one of the ways they can make it less expensive? Is to run pipelines. So the distribution of that oil can be cheaper. So in the absence of these, uh, of these pipelines, tar sands oil is not even necessarily economically viable. The other thing that has mm -hmm. to be brought up is this is not for Canadian or U.S. consumption. Most of this is heading, in, uh, heading into these pipelines for export to China and to other countries. So I, I think to, to paint the full picture so people don't think, well, yeah, but we need that oil. We don't see you, uh, you know, riding a bike instead of uh, taking uh, driving your car. When you hear all that stuff, this isn't about domestic supply. It isn't about creating great jobs or, or, or any of that other stuff. These pipelines are temporary jobs at best. Frankly, there's more employment that gets created by cleaning up the mess that they leave, which they cannot actually do, than, than actually building up the pipelines. And for folks to understand also, so when something is brought for export, when there is fracked gas or tar sands, when it's, when it's for export, um, like you said, there, there's no intention for usage here on this land. There, this is not for anybody to use, but to be sold to other places to then continue to, you know, it's part of this cycle of industry. 
And then what will happen? Then we have the continuation of greenhouse gases, as we saw in these reports that are coming out. That are There's a larger interconnected narrative in which the U.S. is supplying um, countries like China that, that we, we are so critical of for not reaching um, the, you know, climate, the goals that the um, Paris Climate Agreement has set out. Uh, and, and the reality is that the U.S. participates in that by providing exported, um, or rather by exporting these uh, raw material, quote unquote, raw materials. Now, even if it was for domestic use, it shouldn't happen because, as the Biden administration has promised, its intention was to look at greener, renewable energy. But greener, renewable energy is not something that any administration is actually committed to providing. And so these pipelines that are doing that are that are going through all of our lands, going through indigenous communities, uh, going through what are known as sacrifice zones, uh, have been deemed justifiable ways to move poison through indigenous land, through black and brown communities, because it will somehow make money for someone. But the reality is that it's not going to make it's not going to provide jobs. It's not going to provide, as you said, they're temporary jobs and the jobs they go they go away and then and then what happens and then we just have pipelines that are going through indigenous land that are that are poisoning black and brown communities for export to provide profit for Enbridge, a corporation well, and, that and, isn't and even based these are, out these of are invest country. these are investments for the oil industry these are to Absolutely. secure a place in the future for the oil industry so any conversation about moving towards green energy and sustainable energy and that kind of stuff is completely undermined and undone by making these investments whether you're talking about the 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 pipeline running through brooklyn for natural gas yeah. or whether you're talking about tar sands oil pipelines which are essentially are you know the whole again the whole goal is to take this tar this gooey tar mess in you know buried in sand and pipe it all the way down to the gulf of mexico so it can be processed for export Look, this isn't even a U.S. export. This is a Canadian export where mm-hmm. part of the U.S. oil industry gets to make a, a few dollars off of uh, off of processing this dirtiest oil on the planet for for export. That's it. Which is same. Which is also the same for the North Brooklyn pipeline, which we've spoken about a lot um, on the show. That is going through, obviously going through North Brooklyn. Um, that's being uh, that is flowing by the way the the natural gas is flowing is owned by national grid and a lot of new yorkers assume that national grid is a u.s or even new york based company but national grid is actually a british based company um it has no it has no standing here on on, uh in this so-called country it is not making and also that is gas for export as well that is none of that gas that is going through the brooklyn pipeline which is already leaking which is already exploding um, none of that is actually for domestic use either. It is also for export. So these are really great examples of two different pipelines for, uh, that are moving two different types of materials that are owned by two different companies that are not even based in this country for profit that U.S.-based um, oil and gas industries get to you know, make a little bit of money off of. I say a little bit of money, but it's actually you know, millions of dollars. Uh, yeah. And a lot of folks assume that because it's a national grid pipeline that, oh, we're, we, we get access to that, na- that natural gas. You know, we as people who live in, you know, in New York get access to that. And no, it's, it's 100 percent for export. That is not for domestic use. And the um, New York City Council just voted on the 12th of August to raise um, ev- everyone, everyone's national grid uh, prices to pay for the pipeline. Uh, to to pay for its continued uh, continuation of being built. So these two com- these two pipelines are in conversation with one another. Yeah, yeah, it's a, I mean, it, it really is incredible because uh, again, thinking about that report that we discussed last week, I mean, it, it can't be clearer. You know, how, what is happening to the planet and 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 where the responsibility lies and. And, and you're right, as, as the United States keeps pointing its finger at, at Canada or I'm sorry, at China or even India or some of these other countries, yeah. they continue to be involved in the industry to to export coal. I mean, the United States doesn't uh, uh, doesn't have as many coal fire plants as they used to. But you know what? They're still exporting coal. 
They're still exporting. They're supplying it. Yeah, I mean, it's in, it's incredible. It's incredible. It's they such hypocrisy. Supply, they supply the governments that they so heavily criticized for not reaching, um, again, the agreements that were put into place by the Paris um, by the Paris Climate Agreement. Like, this is, like, very clearly... Uh, and and to to <laughs> and to be so critical of these other of these other countries who have much larger populations um, who have also uh, been impacted by imperialism um, and colonialism is is such a is honestly is just uh, the only word I can think of is rude. It's just so absurd. It's just an absurd thing. And a lot of people don't understand how pipelines and a lot of these industries work. And arguably, I didn't know how they worked until I started working against them and finding out that a lot of this is for export to go to other places to continue doing damage that will continue that is irreversible and i think that's something that people really don't regan what does the resistance look like give me uh, let's paint a bit of that picture and what you um what you anticipate uh is going to happen with with your charges you know resistance looks so different in so many different places um specifically to line three as as i was saying previously there's a number of different camps um, that are doing amazing work to, to highlight and to, to really uplift the voices of the indigenous people who this pipeline's land goes through, uh, which is, as I said previously, Anishinaabe and Dakota territories. And a number of, uh, a number of us, uh, the resistance is not just chaining ourselves to pipelines. It's not just stopping and halting construction for a day. It's not just holding Enbridge and the police accountable it's it's also continuing uh continuing and fighting for their life weight you know like i'm i'm headed um i'm headed you know i'm in minnesota right now and i'm I'm headed to uh, the camp that i'm going to and it's it's not just let's stop this pipeline it's we must maintain our life ways we're going to go wild rising you know like that is something that must continue in order for indigenous people to to really truly exercise their sovereignty and these pipelines endanger that. And so you're, you're, asked, you're demanding, these pipelines are demanding that indigenous people completely usurp their life ways to, uh, to accept and to allow a toxic and colonial industry to go through their land. Now, what does that mean in terms of resistance and charges? As I said, there's a diversity of tactics. Um, I participated in, um, in an action back in March uh, that led to my arrest, which is why I'm headed there now, is to, to deal with um, to, to deal with that. And part of our part of the the group that I participated in our resistance was to also highlight the importance of um, ceremony within these spaces. And so uh, we brought a sweat lodge onto um, onto the pipeline route into a construction site, and we held ceremony there. Uh, you know, demanding that the the workers, the Enbridge pipeliners. Uh, that they stop the work that they're doing, that they're risking indigenous lifeways. And of course, we were violently, uh, violently removed um, by the Hubbard County police. And Hubbard County is uh, one of the counties that this pipeline goes through. And the police received $2 million just last week, $2 million from Enbridge, from Enbridge to continue to oppress indigenous people. And actually, just last week, a number of water protectors and land protectors were shot with rubber bullets, sending an, an indigenous woman to the hospital. Uh, not only was not only were they charged, but they were sent to the hospital. They were so violently um, attacked with rubber bullets that Enbridge paid for, so that the police could use it. So we, this is not just. This pipeline company is is horrible, but also the pipeline company is strategic enough to work with local police. To and two, wa- million, to hire two million dollars to a to a rural, a fairly rural county like uh, Harbor County a is lot a of lot money. of money. And I mean, it uh, it is essentially tantamount to buying a police department. It is, you know, two million dollars to Hubbard County, which is a small county in the middle of nowhere, um, provided them with rubber bullets. Uh, with uh, with pepper spray, and also provided them with a number of terrifying guns that they had never had access to before as well. And that is in conversation with legislation that is going through, um, uh, that will be uh, available to be voted on in Congress soon, which is, uh, I forgot what the, 
I forgot the number, of course, and I'll have to pull it up later. But it would uh, essentially make it legal for police to use lethal force against water and land protectors, specifically those at line three. So we can already see that there's an escalation of tactics that the police are using in camaraderie with, uh, with this Canadian pipeline company to really violently and kill to kill they are willing to kill indigenous people they're willing to kill the accomplices that show up for indigenous sovereignty there is an intention to kill us and that is such a scary thing when all we want is for there to be water and land for future generations like that is that's it like what people are fighting for is is land and water for future generations and it's enough of a threat to Enbridge and to the settler colonial government that they're willing to push through legislation that would make it legal for them to kill us. And you know what's interesting is is, is if all of this rhetoric, again, about uh, green energy, I mean, if, if you believe that rhetoric, then what you do know is that any of these fossil fuel extraction, um, processes doesn't have a future it isn't for future generations it, it is no. for it, it's for profit it's for profitability in the short term there, there's nothing long term uh about this this is not about future generations so uh, so it makes it even even this this fight to to save water and land for future generations is being undermined for short-term profitability and I think that also it's so important for folks to understand that the criminalization of indigenous water and land protectors is um, is not something new, but this is something like we saw it obviously at Standing Rock. We've seen it at other at other um, at other front lines. Um, but what's what's changing right now uh, because this pipeline is meant to be completed very soon is that there's an escalation of violence by uh, by local police um, in a way that is and there's a lack of accountability obviously because even though this has national attention in a number of ways there is a there is no commentary from the biden administration there is no commentary coming um from uh from potus there's no commentary coming from uh from deb howland you know from these people that are voted into these positions who have also promised that they will search, that they will commit themselves to renewable to green energy, to renewable energy. I mean, mind you, I'm not a big fan of green and renewable energy movements that are imperial and white-led, so that's a whole other conversation. But it's it's imperative that folks understand that there is a purposeful um, erasure of what is happening at line three, and that the more, the more we do to stop this pipeline, the more is done to silence what is being, what is happening. You, well, to, let's, to let's not leave. Can, let's not let Canada off the hook either. I mean, because oh, again, Enbridge is a is a Canadian company. Canadian this is about tar sands oil. So no, I haven't heard anything from Mary Simon, the new uh, Governor General, and I certainly you certainly don't hear anything. You know, you see a weeping uh, Justin Trudeau when we uh, they they make another discovery of uh, um, or proof, I should say, or or evidence of of buried children from residential schools. But this, you know, the, the same behavior continues. It just continues on both sides of the imaginary line. It's, it's kind of, it's for me, you know, I feel a lot of, of guilt personally for not being more activated in the past to stop this pipeline. And I already know that I'm a bit, I'm, I'm as they say, late to the party. But now that I am aware of what's happening and now as someone who's standing in solidarity with Anishinaabe and Dakota relatives, I know that my place is there to stop this pipeline because it has such and it, it will poison everyone. It has already started poisoning everyone. It is at the headwaters of the Mississippi. Like we cannot ignore. And I'm from the, I am from the mouth of the Mississippi. It is my duty to connect with these uh, with with my indigenous brothers, sisters, and non-binary kin up north, it is my duty to fight for this water and for this land because it will it affects all of us. And so a, a lot of what's being asked right now is um, not just money to support us because for for another thing that and another aspect to this is that people who are being arrested, the bails are now um, set to you know ten thousand, twenty five thousand 
dollars in order to release water protectors. And so, you know, there's a desperate need for money um, on the front line. So I definitely recommend that people send money to the GNU Collective, to Honor the Earth, to McGeezy, to Red Lake, to these camps that are really holding it down. But also there's, there is a need for people to come to the front line. And it's something that I see differently than at Standing Rock. People went to Standing Rock. People showed up for Standing Rock. And the same thing is necessary right now. We need people at, the, at line three. We need people showing up at these camps, holding space, and, you know, really putting their bodies on the line to stop this because it's, it will affect and is affecting all of us. We cannot divorce ourselves. We cannot have cognitive dissonance and say, oh, it's happening somewhere in northern Minnesota. Who cares? This is an actual threat to everyone's, everyone's livelihood. And, and it's the uh, like I said, when I when I describe this as the dirtiest oil on the planet, this has the largest carbon footprint of, of any yep. other type of, uh, of essentially, you know, fossil fuel because it it involves the burning of natural gas and 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 again uh, piping natural gas up there to you know to extract it from the from you know from the sands in the first place i mean it it is uh, it it has so many such a detrimental effect on the co2 emissions uh that that everybody wants to talk about but very little want to do about it and I think it's important that we really hammer home the, the criminalization of land and water defenders. And that's another layer to all of this is that, um, you know, there was a huge, uh, there was a 200 person action in early June um, that a lot, a number of people participated in, including Jane Fonda. So of course everyone paid attention to that. And, uh, and so there's a lot of pressure on Hubbard County to begin to sentence and, and, um, and to plead people out in, in a way that we have, like, they need to start like, rectifying or dealing with these arrests and something that we are already seeing is that people are being sentenced to jail time with misdemeanor charges and that is first of all wildly unheard of especially if you do not have a previous record but we are seeing water and land protectors being sentenced to jail time for something as simple as standing in a ditch during an action like that, that, those are, that is happening now. And so now people, including myself, we have our court and we have our child dates that we have a court date coming up and, we, and the intention is now to kind of find conclusions to this. And I want people to understand that there is a real threat and a real risk that people who have, who have done this work, who are doing this work will serve jail time and not scary. And it maintains the, uh, the carceral complex and maintains the industrial carceral complex. And it keeps brown people, specifically indigenous people, in, and puts them into a system uh, in order to deter us from continuing doing righteous work. And I'll tell you right now that that will not deter me from doing the work. This is imperative. This is imperative work for everyone's life ways. And it's, so that's why we need more people to come to the front lines and come to the camps because a number of us, and people who have been arrested multiple times who are, who are doing this work, not only is there a lot of burnout and exhaustion, but also there is a real, a real fear and a real risk and a real, and there's a reality that people might be serving jail time. Yeah. No, it's, uh, I think the more people who, who step up, the more difficult it is for um, not only the so-called law enforcement um, and the, the pipeline companies to to effectively you know you know win this thing. I, you know, I think there has to be more resistance, and you know I, and it appears that you know the the front line at this point is is line three, at least on the U.S. side. The front line is line three. Come to line three. Oh, I might have just lost you. Well, folks, I mean, again. Uh, Regan is uh, has been joining us from the road in Minnesota. Um, Regan is facing charges associated with resisting Line Three. It is it, it's it's what they are doing, and I can't say enough about the work that that Regan is doing. You know, I I, I do want to bring up one thing just before we close here, and I know we're, we've only got a few minutes. I, got, I had a debate the other day with somebody about 
Buffalo Soldiers. And, and of course, the Bob Marley tune comes to mind. And I think there's a misinterpretation about what Buffalo Soldiers were. And, you know, the, the name uh, that was attributed to, uh, to recently freed slaves who are enslaved black men who were willing to sign up for the military uh, and especially meet native people on the front lines to, to, to essentially fight native people and to secure white people in the possession of native lands. Um, you know, Bob Marley's song doesn't really praise Buffalo Soldiers. And uh, I don't know if people misinterpret the lyrics. Um, he, he basically says they're Buffalo Soldiers winning the war for America. And in many ways, it could be interpreted that he's calling out black men who were now so firmly, you know, staking their survival on the American story. I mean, it's Frederick Douglass was responsible for the same thing. He, he talked, uh, he really talked badly about native people being in the way. And so when I think about Buffalo soldiers and Frederick Douglass and some of the rhetoric that is associated with, with these concepts and these people, it is it is it's missed that that look these were were people who were who were exploited and eventually lined themselves up with the imperialism of the United States and and whether they were doing it as a as a means of survival it still doesn't make it right and you know when we talk about lands that were being offered up to white people in in the Homestead Act, and 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 I heard heard recent stories that talked about well, black people were denied the same lands that white people are, but they had that conversation without even mentioning the fact that we're talking about native lands, lands that have been fraudulently you know ripped away from native people, the native people ripped away from the lands, and which is you know gets back to what we're talking about with with line three, you know I I think many of these concepts. And I don't mind throwing it, uh, throwing some of these uh, these thoughts at the end of a show, because I think it has to resonate with people. I think people have to rethink about what what they're understanding these images or these concepts of history. Frederick Douglass was has never been held to uh, to account on the, uh, some of the rhetoric that he spewed about Native people, and you know while he gained a lot of popularity within American culture and now in American history. There's an accounting that has to be done for, you know, by him as well and, and, and about him. And I would say the same thing about Buffalo Soldiers and, and, and so many other uh, examples of, uh, of people who were oppressed and found relief from that oppression by participating in oppression. And, you know, and that's that's part of the problem. Uh, I, I want to thank I want to thank Regan for for really giving a solid effort uh, on this program as uh, as Regan is on the road and uh, we look forward to we look forward to doing it all again I want to thank you for listening this is John Kane for Regan DeLoggins and Resistance Radio we'll see you next week you know